Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Calling Water. We're continuing our series on Ruth by examining the text to learn what it means and discover some things it may call us to do. In today's episode, To the Threshing Floor, we're looking at the story of what Ruth asks Boaz in Ruth chapter 3 and how God enables us to act with both boldness and prudence. Let's get started. So we left off the story of Ruth in our last episode with Ruth, a Moabite, coming to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and finding favor with a landowner named Boaz, who not only showed her kindness, but also happened to be a relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. And this put Boaz in the unique position as a guardian redeemer or kinsman redeemer and could potentially redeem Elimelech's estate and continue his lineage if Boaz chose to marry Ruth. Now, if you remember, Naomi had returned to her hometown full of bitterness, understandably so, having lost her husband and both her sons. She lamented this misfortune that she felt God had brought upon her, and she had given up on all hope. And an even greater burden might have been that her daughter-in-law, Ruth, had followed her, and Naomi was no doubt feeling responsible for her well-being as well. But the minute Naomi finds out Ruth had this encounter with Boaz, the wheels in her head start turning. She begins feeling hopeful again, and it's in this newfound anticipation that she tells Ruth that she has an idea on how Ruth can find a home and be provided for. And that is for Ruth to ask Boaz to marry her and fulfill his duties as their family's guardian redeemer. But Naomi's instructions to Ruth in chapter 3, verses 2 through 4 are peculiar. She says to approach Boaz in an unusual and even suspicious manner. She says, Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. So the threshing floor was where the grains were sorted from the chaff, the unusable parts, through a process called winnowing. Now, Boaz was most likely spending the night on the threshing floor to protect the grain from thieves, and this seems like it was a common practice because Naomi knew exactly what Boaz would be up to that night. But what Naomi tells Ruth to do is a bit questionable, and there's a lot of debate on whether or not Naomi's instructions were up to code with Old Testament customs, but based on the text alone, what Naomi intends to happen seems pretty clear because there's no reason why this conversation between Ruth and Boaz can't happen in daylight in the presence of witnesses, but Naomi purposefully sends Ruth by cover of night, dressed in her finest, to proposition a man who's inebriated. What Naomi expects to happen, though, we're not sure, a generous reading of Naomi is that perhaps she trusts 
both Boaz and Ruth to uphold their integrity, thereby validating her decision to play matchmaker in this way. Or maybe it's something a little bit more calculated. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time people used, shall we say, creative methods to get what they needed in the Old Testament. I mean, look at Abraham and Hagar, Lot and his daughters, Judah and Tamar. Like, go ahead and look up those stories. They are scandalous for sure, but seemingly effective. So it doesn't feel like such a stretch to believe that Naomi thought like if Boaz has relations with Ruth, then they'll have no choice but to marry. But the expected outcome either way is that Boaz will choose to become their guardian redeemer. Now, regardless of what Ruth may have thought of Naomi's plans, she doesn't object. Ruth stays true to her promise in chapter one that she would follow Naomi come what may. In fact, she tells her in verse five, I will do whatever you say. Except Ruth deviates from the plan just a little bit. I mean, she does go to the threshing floor and she does uncover Boaz's feet and lies down near him. But when he wakes up startled in the middle of the night, instead of waiting for him to make a move like Naomi told her to, she tells him what to do in verse 9. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Ruth basically reveals the end game to Boaz here. And she doesn't try to seduce him or trap him like maybe Naomi might have implied, but just straight up asks for what it is she needs. She needs him to become their caregiver because Naomi and Ruth have no one else to rely on. And Boaz's reaction to Ruth's spontaneous proposal, as it were, is very telling of his character too. We can read in verses 10 through 11, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Instead of sending her away or taking advantage of the situation, he essentially thanks her for choosing him. The text suggests that there might have been quite an age difference between the two of them, and Ruth might have had more suitable options. Yet she listened to Naomi and sought after Boaz. So he blesses Ruth for acting first and foremost out of duty and loyalty to Naomi and her family's legacy. So Boaz is even more impressed with Ruth and aims to do right by her. That means he needs to do things by the book because there were two things to consider. First, even though he definitely was a guardian redeemer, it turns out that there was another man who was next in line before he was. So he needed to make sure that this other man would legally give up his right to redeem before Boaz could do anything. And because of that, secondly, he doesn't want to jeopardize this right by sullying their reputations. So he advises Ruth to stay out of sight so that no one would find out that she was at the threshing floor that night. But 
he sends Ruth home with more barley to take home to her mother-in-law to show that he would truly follow through on his guardian redeemership to the best of his ability. And we'll talk about the resolution of this little plot twist when we look at Ruth chapter four in our next episode. But what might the actions of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz about this threshing floor call us to do? The first thing is to be bold, to take action. More often than not, we're afraid to take action because we're scared of potential failure or rejection. But Naomi didn't just sit around and wait for things to fall in her lap. She came up with a plan and nudged Ruth to execute it. And Ruth didn't just wait to see what Boaz would do, but boldly asked for what she really needed. Then Boaz proactively goes about putting everything into place to follow through on what he promises to Ruth. Now, if you think about it in our own lives, we spend most of our time planning to do something instead of doing that something, whether it's a plan to lose weight or go on vacation or apply for a new job. We plan, we plan, but we rarely do. And according to author James Clear, it's a difference between being in motion and taking action. Being in motion gives off the illusion that we're doing something because we're moving, but we're often moving in circles, which doesn't really produce any results. Taking action is how we move forward. Now, when do we know it's time to take action? Well, it's when we put our hope in God. No matter what our circumstances tell us, if our hope really is in God, then the action steps will come. Recently, some members of our church have gotten together to just casually talk about strategies for church growth. And from a strictly analytical standpoint, church growth doesn't really seem like a feasible goal for us at all. We're a very small church located away from foot traffic with very few workers in the middle of a pandemic and a dwindling worldwide church going community. And if we trusted in facts alone, we would just remain in motion, doing things every week for sure, but only to maintain the little we have right now. But because we hope we meet and strategize and plan and are working to implement small changes here and there to be as effective as we can be. And it's scary and it's possible we'll upset some people along the way, but it's also entirely possible that God will do a new and big thing through us and honor the actions we're taking in boldness and in faith. But we can't just be bold without any clear direction, right? So the second thing I feel we're called to do based on this passage is to also be prudent, to listen to the right voices. Now, while Naomi was a virtuous enough role model for Ruth, such that she inspired Ruth to leave everything behind and follow Naomi, when she sends Ruth to the threshing floor, it was a risky move, risque even. Whether or not she knew with absolute certainty that things would turn out okay, she did end up putting Ruth in an incredibly vulnerable position that could have been ruinous for her. 
And I think a lot of that decision making had to do with the fact that even though Naomi had indeed become a little bit hopeful again, she didn't quite fully trust that God was involved here. So instead of entrusting it in God's hands, she takes matters into her own hands and manufactures this opportunity at the threshing floor. In her desperation and haste, she doesn't pause to listen for God's voice and wisdom. And thankfully, Ruth listens only to the spirit of Naomi's counsel because she and Boaz end up, both of them end up making honorable choices at the threshing floor. And if we can make this threshing floor a metaphor for our lives, this is it. Sort the voices we are listening to and really discern which voices are worth listening to. Now, one of the main reasons my mom and I have argued in the past and still do sometimes is that she has what we call in Korean thin ears. No, she doesn't literally have thin ears, but it means she pretty much listens to the opinions of everyone. She is susceptible to every kind of marketing. If even one person says a product is good, she's convinced that's the way to go, even before trying it out herself. I mean, it's admirable that she tends to see the good in everybody, but because of this overextended benevolence, I have tried countless diet trends, purchased more than a fair share of MLM products, and I'm even the proud owner of an industrial vacuum cleaner that I've used exactly once. Now, this is a sad and humorous true story, but when it comes to our spiritual walk and life decisions, there is a need to, in essence, have thicker ears. When someone gives us advice, we do need to be discerning about their words. Do they align with God's words and the principles that come with? Or are they merely the opinions of the advice giver? Because even quote-unquote religious people are capable of giving faulty advice. I mean, look at Naomi, right? It's up to us to exercise prudence with the words that are given to us. And by the same token, we need to be careful with the advice we give to others. Are we just telling people what we think they want to hear or what we think is right? Or are we guiding them as we are being led by the Holy Spirit ourselves? So friends, whatever perplexing, compromising, threshing floor of a situation you find yourselves in, do these two things. Be bold and yet be prudent. Take the right actions by listening to the right voices and let God show you that the hope you've placed in him was not in vain. Let's pray. God, we confess that so many times we grow impatient with your timing and we try to force your hand by taking matters into our own hands. But while you empower us to take action instead of simply being in motion, you remind us also to seek out your will and wisdom before we do anything. So we ask you to teach us how to be both these seemingly opposite things, bold and prudent. When you call us to act, help us to do so with reckless abandon. 
but help us to know that it really is you calling us to act and not just our own instincts that are often very wrong. We know that in all things, there is hope because as the psalmist sings in Psalm 42, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God.